want to begin with some celebration this morning. We had some events around the life of the church this week. We had um, uh, our preschool graduations, and so you see these kiddos coming dressed up, one little guy in a, a suit better than this one and a bow tie. I mean, it's just as good as it gets. And so uh, we celebrate the ministry of our early learning center and the impact we've had on kids and that we've made it through some really turbulent times in that ministry uh, as we try to figure out what to do with kids and masks and all that stuff. Uh, people, seems like everybody has made it through that. And honestly, uh, we've seen God at work. And uh, I was thinking about, and we're going to be talking today about how we see God at work in different places. That was one place, another. We did a baby blessing, uh, and, you know, it's one of those times when it's easy. Uh, Pastor Cindy and I went to somebody's home and prayed a blessing over their newborn, uh, and it was very, very special. And I thought, man, we just should treat, we should treat each other like this and have this awareness uh, of each other all the time, not only when we're little and cute, but in every moment, it's just a, it's sort of part of the life of the, like, go through and preach the, the schedule of what happens around here, uh, including what happened in this room this week. I got some pictures. The Jonesville Academy uh, met here. It was launched in 2020 uh, through a, a conversation between Tyrion Clark and Aurelia Spaulding about how to uh, close the achievement gap with uh, young men of color in Bowling Green and uh, started this academy that's built on education, leadership, and mentoring. And they had their banquet here, and we celebrated them in this room. And you can apparently put seats and seat 200 people right where you all are. So uh, pretty cool that that happened. Uh, it was one of the things that kind of came out of that time, out of the pandemic, actually, in 2020. And we have been working with Tyrion and with uh, Boys to Men for a while. And uh, we know Aurelia as well and have worked with her. And so uh, it is part of a web of relationships that have formed, including uh, us, actually, uh, not only partnership and ministry, which I'll talk a little bit about in a little bit, which is pretty, pretty wonderful. And then I have some pictures of some artwork that we had commissioned that helped tell Broadway stories. We think about where God is at work. We also and very often need to remember that God has been at work in the past, that we stand on the shoulders of those who come before us. And so this is where our church was launched in this, uh, in this store, in Ed Jones' store, 1907. And then the pictures that follow are of the different locations of Broadway. So this is when we were at Broadway on Broadway until 1959. And then uh, the next picture is when we moved here in 1959. Uh, and we were uh, a 60s groovy church back then. <laughs> And then the next one, which is uh, our current uh, building. But those paintings were commissioned as a, a, a way of remembering one of our long-term members, Lois Dean Tigret. How many of you knew Lois Dean? Uh, Lois Dean was unique and special and fun and life-giving. And uh, when she passed away, her family gave a memorial gift to her Sunday school class. And then the Sunday school class gave that to the church and, church and wanted to do something was more than just putting a plaque on something. And so we commissioned that artwork, and it's hanging in our welcome center outside of our sanctuary. So you can see that. And uh, there's a little story that helps us connect to the story of Broadway over the years. And it reminds us that, uh, that their lives look pretty ordinary, but as we look back now, we see them differently, and people will look back at us and say the same things. So uh, some things to celebrate this morning as we go to God in prayer and we, as we begin to think about how God is at work and how we can see that now. Let's pray together. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him. To say that we love him. 
Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Amen. I'm going to talk to you about the ability to see things uh, and perceive what's going on. And it's not always easy. Uh, this next picture isn't my example of that. How many of you know what that is? It's a mushroom, right? Uh, it's specifically a morel mushroom. The question is, raise them high, how many of you have ever found one of those guys? Yeah, a few of you. Uh, this is, uh, was about this time, I don't remember exactly when, uh, of year. Growing up on the farm, my dad started getting real, this was like his favorite time of year, to go out into the woods and find morels. And uh, it, they didn't, we actually grew on the, up on the farm. It did, they didn't uh, grow on the particular spot where my, my house was, but all over the rest of the farm, there were certain secret spots that you could go and find these things. And um, to put a pile of those in butter and fry them was, was the thing we looked forward to the most in life. Well, pretty close at least. My dad, my dad would ha have us go through the woods looking for these things. And as a seven year or eight year little, old little boy, it was not always fun, right? It was it actually a lot of work. You, you kind of can't just tromp through the woods and you can't climb trees. You gotta get down in the, in the dirt and you gotta slow down, you gotta be still and you gotta look because those things are not immediately visible. It takes some work, it takes some skill to find them. And so I remember distinctly being a kid, going to look for these things, and if they were just kind of easy to spot, that was one thing. But if you had to hunt for them, it took some work. And I remember one time, uh, it, it all clicked for me. I, I realized how the thing worked, and I had to slow down, I had to calm myself, I had to be still and start to, to scan the forest floor, and there are a lot of things there. And then all of a sudden, I saw one. But then the amazing thing was that, in fact, it wasn't just one, that it had, it had been there the whole time, but right beside it were two or three more. And then, and then it was like the whole forest floor became something different because everywhere I looked, there they were. I had gained an ability that I didn't have before, an ability to see something that had been there all along. That's what we're talking about. The kingdom of God is like this. It is an ability to see something that is there, that is not immediately visible, that takes some skill, a set of practices, a way of looking at the world that we gain through our life together, through minimizing distractions, through our ability to still ourselves and to live in a way that allows us to see the kingdom. This next picture is somebody you also may have seen before. Anybody who know who that is? It is an HGTV guy. Tarek El Moussa, I think, is his name. And he started a show called Flipper Flop in 2013. And um, the, the reason I'm showing you his picture is because that uh, launched him into stardom. That's fine, whatever. Uh, that show became pretty well known. Uh, Four million people watch it. But it also, in 2013, launching that show perhaps saved his life. Because at the end of that season, as uh, someone was watching uh, a sort of, uh, what do you call that, a binge-watching kind of thing, they noticed something. One person out of four million, a nurse, noticed that he had a small lump on his neck. And they sent an email to the producers of the show and said he probably ought to get that checked out. Well, it turns out that he had been to the doctor about it, and the doctor said probably not a big deal. He had developed a cough and was dealing with some symptoms. And so that particular email 
took hold, and he went to the doctor the next day and had surgery to remove the cancer from his neck. One person in four million noticed. How do we become that person when it comes to God and the things of God? How do we become the people that notice what others miss? And this is, of course, uh, something that we find in Jesus. We find in the community of Jesus. We, we, we find this vision and this goal to be the people who were like Jesus, who stuff just seemed to happen because of, of sort of it followed him wherever he was, but it turns out it was something in him, something that he brought to the equation. Our series is about what it means to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, or said another way, a living reminder of Jesus, to, to have that same thing that Jesus had, that same ability to see that Jesus brought with him wherever he went. Jesus came onto the scene and he declared, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then it seems like the kingdom followed him wherever he went. It just sprang up wherever he was. Things happened around Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about for us. What happens if things were just to happen around us? Because it wasn't that the kingdom uh, sprung up around Jesus so much as that he was the one who noticed it. He was the one who so, saw sick people that others just walked on past and restored them to health. He was the one who would take the time to talk to the leper who had been not only sick, but then ostracized out onto the fringe and then was able to restore them not only to health, but also to community. He was the one who saw in those 12 young men or 12 guys that had been passed over by all the other rabbis. He was the one that saw their potential and was able to call that from them. It makes me wonder, do you ever have this question, did Jesus pick those 12 guys specifically, or could he have picked 12 of any of us? And with this ability to see God at work in us, accomplish the same thing. Jesus did this with women, who uh, the people of the time considered couldn't really be disciples, and he was able to partner with them and find God at work through them. What is it that gives somebody that ability? It almost seems like a sixth sense, doesn't it? How does a coach notice the talent that a, a young athlete has and then is able to, to, to draw on that and cultivate that talent? How does an artist somehow capture the essence or the beauty of something and then be, be able to give that and show that to the rest of us? How does a parent look at a kid and know instantly there's something going on, they're, they're sick? They have a fever. How do some people see God at work all around them, even when their lives are falling apart? And then others who have everything going for them, and some of us would, would understand what this is like, and, and just we just don't feel it. We just don't see it. Faith in this way of, of talking is not just a, the way we think. It's not a set of doctrines. It's not even what we do. It's how we see the world. It's an ability to see the world a certain way, to notice the the, the mushroom when other people miss it. So Jesus tells a story about this. He tells a parable about a farmer who goes out and casts seeds. It's a very inefficient way of farming. I'm playing in the garden right now. I want every little seed right in this little spot. I'm going to watch over it. This farmer just throws the seeds out wherever they will land, and they land lots of different places, right? They land uh, in a place where the birds can pick them up. And, and snatch them away. They land on rocky soil, and they try to put down roots, but it just doesn't work. 
Then they land in places where the thorns and the weeds will grow up around them and uh, they would get choked out. But some of those seeds get planted just by circumstance in good soil. And that seed then takes off and it makes up for all of the other wastefulness and then some. That seed that's just thrown anywhere and everywhere, and we would look at that and say the world's a terrible place because it can't grow anything good. It doesn't matter because in the places where it lands, where the soil is good, it, it produces seeds that, that then are 100 times what had been planted or 60 times or 30 times what had been planted. So Jesus tells this story. And... Um, Disciples, I, I appreciate the disciples in the Bible for this function alone. Jesus tells the story, and they're all kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he gets done, and they're like, uh, what was that again? I don't, I don't get it. And so there's a little pause in Matthew 13, and then it the, the comes back and it says, the, the parable of the sower explained, thank goodness, right? Because Jesus, in the words of Jesus, we get the explanation. We don't always get that, do we? Sometimes we've got to figure it out ourselves. The parables are like that. But Jesus says, okay, here's the deal. The seed that is sown on the path or the rocks or the thorns represents those who do not, and this is the word that's translated, understand the kingdom for whatever reason. And the whole parable is about those obstacles to being able to get it, to be able to understand. And we put ourselves in those places where the, the, the evil forces of the world just kind of take over and that's all that we see. Or... It, uh, it comes along when we don't have rootedness. And that rootedness means that we can't really grow. And things like pandemics or the events of, the, the, our, of our lives can do this for us. And we realize, if nothing else, uh, we need deeper roots. Or we find ourselves in the, bunch, in the midst of a bunch of weeds. And what's interesting about this, as Jesus explains it, is that we, our lives get choked out by either the worries or the wealth of the world. Do you catch that? That what chokes out God's workiness is the worst of the worst and the best of the best. Both extremes can be an obstacle for us. And maybe you, this is your experience. When life is hard, it, it feels like we just are withering away. But also when we get preoccupied with all of our stuff, the same result can happen. However, Jesus says, by contrast, the good soil is those who hear the good news of the kingdom, and there again the word is used, understand it. Now, when I hear the word understand, I think of an intellectual thing. And what I try to do in, in life, and maybe you do too, is look at the world, try to piece it all together, make sense of the world, aha, aha, I get it, and then it all comes together. And, and that's actually not the word that Jesus uses here. I remember the moment I was studying this, we set this series up months ago, several months ago, and I was... I was, I was trying to get at what was going on in this passage, and I remember looking up that word that is translated understand, and it all became clear to me. I saw the mushroom. And what it was is the, the way that word is really intended to, to be used is something much more holistic. Uh, it is the word to perceive, to, to be aware, as we sang this morning, aware, make us more aware of your presence. It is literally to put it together to be able to see, and all of a sudden, it all becomes clear. Faith is this way of seeing the world that is not immediately evident. It is being able to put together and see what others miss 
in a particular moment. And for that moment to become explosive impossibility, other seeds will be wasted and a lot of life will be sort of, mm, but then in a few key moments in life, it, 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 it all comes together. This is, I think, important if you think about how life feels for most of us. Most of it feels like those seeds that fall in those other places and we, it's, it feels like a big waste. And it's easy to be discouraged because it's not very often when it all comes together. But when it does, 30, 60, 100 times what we expect. The good soil puts it together. It makes the connection that others don't. It perceives what others miss. And then the key is that that, that begins, begins to be a way of life. Those things that are unexpected begin to happen more often because we've gained the ability to capitalize on the moment. And that's what it means to be a witness of Jesus, to take those ordinary moments and find that they're good soil for the kingdom of God. Isaiah says it uh, in a similar way. Forget the former things. This could be a passage for the pandemic. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And the answer is, well, kind of we don't. <laughs> we don't always, but we want to. This picture is Carol Gard. I love it because it captures, I think that does sort of capture her essence. I did a screen capture of a video from WBKO. Rather than showing you the whole video, I'm just going to tell you uh, some, some of her story and some that wasn't in the video. But um, this is from Ash Wednesday, and Carol was working at Western. What she didn't know, what we knew, is that she was going to be the hometown hero that week and that they were going to come and interview her and, and her friends. So I knew when she, uh, when she came in on Ash Wednesday uh, that she was, that was getting ready to happen. And um, one, of the, one of her, actually her daughter asked, um, do we want to put the ashes on her forehead knowing she's going to be on video? And the answer was, of course, yes, because Carol is not the kind of person who would care one bit about anything other than doing what she wants to do. In fact, she comes in every Ash Wednesday ahead of the service. She got those ashes not with the rest of us on Ash Wednesday. She comes in during the day because she usually has to work at Western on that particular day at the gate and taking tickets. And she wanted the sign of the ash on her forehead. And so I meet her in the sanctuary and I anoint her with the, the sign of, uh, of ashes and say, from the dust you have come to the dust you will return. And um, we have a moment of prayer. And I did that knowing full well that she was going to be on video. There were going to be pictures of her. And her witness would be of that great big old cross smeared across her forehead. You can watch that WBKO video, and it's pretty interesting because it kind of gets out the things we're talking about, how she is just the person that interacts with uh, others and kind of capitalizes on those moments with them. And if you know Carol, that's, that's what, what she does in, in life. She's a retired teacher. Uh, she has worked in... Um, in the, the she at one time in the spouse abuse cent, uh, center that, that had done some work there, and then as she describes it, and then um, takes tickets at the gate and takes those moments of interaction to know people and to make those moments holy. And that sets up the story that I want to tell because a few weeks ago, Carol was at Kroger and her daughter told the story, and then we asked if it was okay to tell. and and they all said it was fine. But she was at Kroger, and, and, and you know how it is at the, the stores now. There are only two lines open, right? Of all the registers, there are only two, and they're all full. There's a long line. Carol's in line. She gets up to the, the cashier, and she's been standing there the whole time. I don't know how you are when you're standing there the whole time, but it only ramps up my desire to just get through and get out and complain about the people who are on board with my 
very efficient way of doing it. I don't know if you do this. Do you get, do you look at the lines and try to find the shortest one or you look at the cashier and you try to figure out if they're on their game that day and you're evaluating all those things and doing the whole scenario and the algorithm and the planning. Carol was not doing that. And knowing Carol, she was just uh, ready to be in the moment as she came up to the register and now she's been in line this whole time and there's a whole line behind her. She starts a conversation with the cashier. Rule number one, do not start a conversation with the cashier. She says, how are you today? And she said something to the effect of, well, actually my, today's my last day of work for five weeks. I would have, what would you have said? Oh, that's nice. And that would have been it, right? Not Carol. Carol says, oh, are you going on vacation? And uh, the woman says, no, I'm getting ready to have open heart surgery tomorrow, and I'm going to be out of work for a while. I would have said, oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, or I will pray for you, or whatever. Carol sees that as a moment to have a prayer meeting in the line at Kroger and prays over this woman. Can you imagine watching that? Like, if I had been back there and watching the efficiency of, it would have been a real crisis of belief for me. Like, oh, I'm glad people are praying, but I really kind of wish they would hurry up. (laughs) So she prays for her. I mean, really, that's not that, like, that's not that radical of a thing, is it? To pray over somebody, to ask God to heal them and bless them. Uh, And yet, Carol saw what, I think I would have missed what a lot of us probably would have missed. It is important to come back to that end of the parable where it says, sort of like all the other seed is wasted, but some of it gets the yield of, of 30 or 60 or 100 times more than we would have expected. That's the way this goes. We want to be the kind of people who see that happening in us, to find those kairos moments in life. Uh, kairos moment, uh, meaning coming from the Greek word, which means there are, there's a certain kind of time. There's chronos time, which is where we get the word chronology, where life just kind of chugs along and it's in, it's in seconds and minutes and weeks and calendars and days and years. And, and then there's kairos time, which is it's, it's moments filled with divine possibility. And those are scattered all around us in the week ahead. The goal is to be the people that see them. And to find those moments. So one of the questions that I ask coming into this sermon is, where do we need to see God at work? Where are we going to find God? If we're, where we should, should we be looking? And there are some obvious and not so obvious answers. There are opportunities all around us, and we need to capitalize on those. I think that's where we probably most often would look. Okay, there's going to be some opportunity. We want to take advantage of it. But it's a lot of other things, too. We want to look back. God has been at work in the past, and we need to be reminded of that, to be able to see it, to know our own story, and to see our graced history so that we can recognize the Spirit of God has been at work in our lives even when we didn't know it, that we stand on the shoulders of those who go before us who have been faithful, and that we are called to be faithful in this moment. Looking back, we see that. And I don't know about you. If I look back, I see things that I didn't see in the moment. I think we need to look in unexpected places, Right? The, way, the way this story is told is that we find the grace of God on a cross. A, Rome, a symbol of Roman execution becomes our symbol of salvation. Pretty unexpected. Where should we be looking in the unexpected place, the last place that we would expect to find God at work? Where should we look for God at work in our suffering and not in a way 
that tries to explain it off, but in a way that helps us find the golden thread of God's goodness. And it's there. I think of a person who's gone into the nursing home recently and was, you know, we prayed through that. It's not, it was not good news that got them there. But I went, went back a couple weeks later and found them interacting with the people serving him uh, and praying over people and talking about their stories and realizing that, that uh, this person who'd gone into the nursing home was ministering to the people there. There, there are opportunities all around us in unexpected places, even in places of conflict and tension in our lives and in our social life. In 2018, we did some dialogue sessions around tough topics. I don't know if I would recommend doing this uh, in, in the church because I think it really began to stir up things in us that have led to some really wonderful places and some really painful conversations. And we decided that we wanted to be, and the vision was that we would be a community of people that is willing to talk about things, not all the time, not in every way, not every sermon, but sometimes we're going to get together, we're going to pray up, and we're going to be ready to talk about other things, that, things that other people will avoid talking about. We're going to talk about things that other people will argue about, and we're going to grow in our love for each other in the process. We talked about poverty, we talked about race, uh, we talked about same-sex marriage, we talked about violence. And um, the night we talked about race and poverty, we invited Abraham Williams in, into the space. Uh, and to be clear, we spent a few weeks just talking about how you talk, and how and we prayed up. And then we said, okay, we're ready to do this. And um, when the Mac was this way, uh, I was on the stage there with Abraham, and we began to talk about the reality of poverty in Bowling Green. And I asked this question, what is something we need to see? It is a, an extension of the prayer that we're going to pray out of the, the sermon today, which is, God, help me to see what other people miss. Again, it's dangerous to ask that question because then you have to trust God's at work when you see something you didn't see. So I said, what, what, what do we need to see? And I remember in that moment, it was sort of like a Kairos moment, everything paused, and I thought, I don't have any idea what he's going to say. How many of you know Abraham Williams? You never know what he's going to say, Right. Um, uh, it's a dangerous question to be up there in front of God and all of us totally surrendering control, whatever he says. And I knew whatever he said, and I had no what idea what it was going to be. Whatever he said, we were going to have to follow. We were gonna, you can't just ask that question and then say, well, that's nice. You can't just check out at Kroger and move on. It required something of us, and that, that probably would cost us something, and it has. It is an honest thing to say. Asking those kinds of questions in our ministry has been the most disruptive and the hardest thing that I have done. It's, it's much better in terms of success to leave those questions unanswered and certainly not to follow when you hear whatever the answer is. That being said, what we've gained I would put in the category of the 30 or 60 or 100. And the story of that in the last few years, in the last four years, has been something that I hope that you are proud, you are proud that we are a part of. So Abraham said, uh, there's, a, there's a need for a grocery store that we don't have access for food. I had no idea. I did not expect that to be what he said. Uh, he said, we need a grocery store. People are going to, uh, don't have transportation. They're going to convenience stores. They're buying really expensive, unhealthy food. 
and it's just sort of a basic human need. They are not doing well health-wise, and it's a food desert. So uh, we need a grocery store. That was the answer. So we talked uh, a little bit more, uh, and then I went, we went from the large group to small group discussion around tables. And so, again, back up there on the Mac, I, um, uh, on the stage, I said, okay, let's sit down and talk a little bit more, Mr. Williams. And so we were talking, and I said, well, I guess since that's the answer, we probably should talk about this some more. When would you like me to come by? And he said, how about 7.30 in the morning? Okay, here we go. And it was months of that. We get, got around the table with him and talked and talked and talked. We looked for a location. We looked for somebody who would be on board with that. A person of peace is, is, is what some people call that. We, it, we just kept hitting roadblocks. It was just not working out. We kept talking. We, somebody said, well, you know, Kroger has started doing this thing. Well, I sound like I'm an advertisement for Kroger today. Um, Kroger is doing this thing where they bring the food out to you in your car. That was new. That was before the pandemic. Maybe we should do something like that. And sort of the, the, the threads connected. And eventually someone said, how about we take the food to them? And the mobile grocery was born. Our staff was around those conversations. Megan Davidson was uh, in, in, in every one of those conversations. And then with several lay people and then her as a staff person, she became the president of a new nonprofit. And then uh, a few months later, when she, when she passed away, uh, we renamed the, the grocery Megan's Mobile Grocery. And we have a short video that shows what uh, the impact of that ministry is. On Monday, our great television investigative team told you about food deserts and rising food costs. Today, WBKO News reporter Brandon Jarrett spoke with Megan's Mobile Grocery and some of its customers who now rely on the mobile grocery for essential food items. There's sometimes that I don't feel like I want to go out into the public and, and into the busy grocery stores. 90-year-old June Kossel is one of the millions of people in the Appalachian and the Delta region who are food insecure. According to the USDA, 2.7 million in the region have limited access to healthy foods. Some regions, also known as food deserts, are regions that lack access to grocery stores. Megan's Mobile Grocery, a grocery store on wheels, has become a service many South Central Kentuckians like June now rely on. Nice to have the grocery store to come to you. And uh, he has a good variety of things that you can pick up and, and be able to. And the price is reasonable, too. You know, I, actually, I feel blessed doing it. I, uh... I'm a local people anyway, you know. It's Danny Carruthers works the mobile grocery store. Customers provide Danny with a list, and he hand delivers the items to their door. To some, this service is more than a blessing. I get my groceries from him, big part, and I don't leave my house. Everybody knows in today's world uh, the prices are going up, and even if somebody gives you a ride, Uber, the cab, a uh, personal friend, if ever had you decide to take that transportation, it gets very expensive. If you need like 10 or $15 worth of items, it's gonna cost you 35 or 40 by the time you get back due to having to pay for, for, for your transportation. The mobile grocery makes stops Monday through Friday throughout Warren County, and you can view a full list on our website of those stops at WBKO.com. Reporting in Bowling Green, Brandon Jarrett, WBKO News. If it were just a new ministry that started, that would have been great. But what came out of those moments when we asked what do we need to see uh, was a lot more than that. And um, I think examples of that. When the tornado hit, 
we had been working now with uh, the, the housing authority for, for months or for years. And so we were able to work with them to house 22 families immediately and 26 families uh, eventually and have an immediate response, a whole system in place to, to network with them to get those people housed. And our ongoing conversation with them is how to build new houses or renovate current houses to put long-term uh, some tornado folks in that. That's the conversation that we're having now. Danny Carruthers, who you saw in there, is one of many people who I didn't know when I asked the question who are now friends. And in a time when the rest of the world was doing a, a reckoning and people were going this way when it came to, to issues of race, we had people coming together. And it was remarkable. It was beautiful. And it happened not in a political way, not in a social experiment way, but in a holy way, as we were simply being the church. And so um, that's how I think biblically we need to continue to measure our success. We're going to sow a lot of seeds, and some of it is going to, not going to land on the good soil. We're going to have to be okay with that. I'm going to have to be okay with that. We're going to have to start measuring our success differently. Start looking for the 30 and the 60 and the 100 times where it does take root. And to find ourselves compelled by that story. What that means today in this room is um, that there are people who are here today who weren't when we asked that question. And it means that there are people who were here then uh, that aren't now. And that has been pretty challenging for me. There, there's a lot to that, obviously. But here's why I am at this point in the whole story, when I'm, and why we're preaching this series, is that you are the ones, <laughs> here you are, who are being asked to be witness of Jesus Christ to the, to the world now. You're the ones who need to have their eyes open to see the possibilities around them, to capitalize on those moments because the, the fruit of that is going to be more than we expect. This is what we are being called to, to the 30, to 60, to the 100 times. As we become witnesses to Jesus Christ in the world, we're going to keep talking about that. But today it comes down to this question and really this prayer. Are we going to be able to see what others miss? And are we going to ask God for that? God, will you help me see what others miss? Today I invite you to pray that prayer here and then to move forward and pray that prayer in the week ahead. Let's pray together. God, as we look back into our past and into the story of this church and this community of faith through the years, we have seen that you've been good. You've been faithful. Some of us have been here a part of that story for a short amount of time. Some of us have been a part of it all of our lives. And yet your spirit is given equally to each one of us. The seed is being sown all around us. Your kingdom wants to spring up in the ways that it has in the past. We pray for the eyes to see it. We pray that we would be the ones who have been faithful just as we see so many have been faithful. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter in the stormy blast and our eternal home, we look to the future and ask for the eyes to see what others will miss, for the ability to notice in a story that can be chaotic 
and, and can cause us to be fearful or to look at the future with worry, that we would find ourselves to be good soil to perceive something else, to perceive your spirit leading us and guiding us. God, we pray for the ability to see in this moment, not just in the past, not just in the future, but mostly in the present. That as we go about our Monday and our Tuesday and our Wednesday, we would find ourselves aware of what you're doing. It was there all along, but we've needed to still ourselves, to calm ourselves and to cultivate this ability to see. Oh God, help us to see what others miss so that we might join you in the redemption of this world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.